There's a lot of talk about the veterinary professional shortage in our country, and one of the solutions being proposed is an increase in license portability for both veterinarians and registered veterinary technicians. This week, we're going to talk about some of the benefits and potential pitfalls with that type of strategy on the Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And once again, Viewfinder family, we're going to be talking about the workplace shortages that we're all experiencing right now. I mean, you can't hire a veterinarian or a registered veterinary technician in most practices, but one of the barriers to moving across the country to take a new job is getting a license. And this week, we're going to talk about a recent development at the AVMA annual meeting in January and some of the impacts it may have on our profession. But before we get into that conversation, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, as many of the viewfinders know, recently the AVMA House of Delegates met in Chicago, and that was the very beginning of January. And one of the topics that came up was license portability. Now, most of us know that during times of disasters, in fact, Becky, you and I have both been involved where we could go to a state, you know, maybe it was post-Katrina or some type of natural disaster, and they allow temporarily the suspension of, you know, needing a new license. They give you a temporary license where you can go and and affect medical care in an emergency setting. But what isn't talked about is the barriers that we have to move to a state that might have a high demand. So let's say right now that you are in North Carolina and there's 20 million job postings in New York or California and you'd like a move. Well, Becky, the first thing you've got to do is go through a whole list of high hurdles to get licensed. Should it be that difficult? And so that's one of the things that the AVMA is taking up. Now, Becky, before we get into this, because I know the AVMA, as you call it, the American Veterinarian Medical Association, what? how does this... Is you impact veterinary technicians. <laughs> Sorry, you got me there because I really I, I appreciate all the patience they give me with my with my snarkiness, but you're darn right that's what it is. Uh, you know, for technicians, it's very similar, right? Like. I think what what we find is we may be even more portable. I hate to say that in in that sense, but I, I guess you're speaking to somebody who has, you know, military spouse background. My husband has a federal job. I will always follow his job right. um, because it's better paying and better benefits. And one of the things about being a veterinary technician, much like a nurse or a teacher, is you think to yourself, oh, I could do that wherever I go. It's not geographically specialized. And then you find that maybe you could intellectually do this and maybe on paper you can do this, but they don't make it easy and they sure don't make it cheap. Right. And that's the great points right there, right? It's There's an expense involved with trying to get a new license and it can be difficult. Some states, let's be honest, Becky, at least from a veterinary perspective, they're pretty easy to get a license, right? But others, wow, it can be months and months and a lot of back and forth paperwork. And I think one of the things that, that I am encouraging this right now, basically what happened was the AVMA said, okay, we'll make a committee to think about it. <laughs> so, I mean, kind of the same thing that, that we get a lot of times. And look, that's a good start. So I'm, I'm going to applaud that effort, but I do want to see some action on the other side of this. And so I think some of the things they need to address is, you know, the differences between states, because at the end of the day, Becky, this is a state of veterinary medical board issue, right? And they want to retain that power. I'm sure it's the same for veterinary technicians. Yeah, 
I... We're talking about my favorite things, medical boards and the AVMA. And it's like, I'm over here on eggshells and ice, you guys. I I don't want to say anything wrong. Oh, my God. Um, Like, is it? Is it? Like, if we had a more national, like, and this is especially from, I can only talk from a technician standpoint, right? Like, you veterinarians, you know what you're allowed to do. You know what you're not allowed to do. And it is very ubiquitous as far as I know. For technicians, it is not as as universal. And so um, in one state, you can do one thing. In another state, you can't. There is very um, tiny little differences in what is allowed, especially on the technician side of things, that fall into the diagnosing and, and irreversible changes and prescribing and such. And so it, to me, is actually higher level possibly the national association that oversees our veterinary profession to, to to create that standard right we keep talking about that that gold standard practice act that nationally accepted practice act that says as a veterinary technician i know if i go to new york north carolina or nevada i know what skills i can do what i can't do and sure there may be some jurisprudence differences but it's not going to be a complete difference in my career um so i know for technicians i think that's where it gets really kind of muddled and it isn't as universal as i think it should be and i and i don't think it's on a state level i think like if it is at a state level we have to come together and understand the effect that we have on a national level when we have these sort of micro control issues on a state level. And it is a control and it's an economic issue. Now, just to give you some background, number one, Becky, you know, we've talked about a quote unquote national veterinary license for years. That'll never happen, or at least probably not in my lifetime, because states just aren't going to forfeit that kind of control. That's my opinion, but I think it probably is is right. Now, on the human medical side, I do want to point out that they have started to come together and they've actually produce what they call a compact, and it's called the Interstate Medical License Licensure Compact. I believe I have that right. And I think to date, there's about 18 states or so, maybe there's 20-something states now. I, I forget. I don't have it pulled up in front of me. But that means that you can move within those states that participate in this compact. And that really becomes important when you're trying to do like uh, emergency work or locum relief type of work. And, and so just be aware, there is a template for this, for states to join together, agree upon a set of credentials or, you know, requirements or whatever and say, you know what, okay, this will allow uh, physicians to move into our states more easily that are part of this. So again, there is a pathway for veterinary medicine. Now, Becky, for me, where I think this gets most frustrating is with the you know, workplace shortage. Here we are saying, oh gosh, we can't get vets. We can't hire vets. Well, guess what? You're limited to hiring a vet who has a license in your state. And even if you decide to hire a veterinarian who isn't yet licensed in your state, that is a potential barrier. And I can tell you a lot of the students that I talk to, Becky, you know, they don't apply for jobs in certain states because they know, well, that might take me several months or this might be an expensive thing for me to pursue. You know, I'd rather just take a job where, you know, where I've got a license. Yeah. And I think back to when I was graduating and um, also veterinarians that I know that are are entering the field, getting ready to graduate. And they are actually coached to, if you think there's any chance you're going to end up working in this particular state, take the exams now while it's fresh in your head. And, you know, um, you're actually kind of encouraged to do all that at once at graduation. So you've kind of accumulated them. Um, But then, like you said, it's like, are you, you're then sort of pigeonholed to wherever you have uh, followed up with this or 
like you said, if you know down the road you want to 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 move and transfer, um, making that kind of all happen and come together can be again expensive and, in my opinion, limiting. Um, so yeah, I think it's an interesting thing to think that like. I would choose a job in a state where I felt more likely to pass the test than right, not. Right, and that right. is really, again, I, interestingly, let's, if I, and I'm not aware of this, right? But if you and I talked about this and said, what are those states that look more difficult than others and like start to really look at the veterinary numbers in there? I mean, is it really having an umbrella effect on their availability of veterinary professionals based on their requirements? Yeah, I, I think it. I think it is. I definitely think it does. And and so look on the human medical side, there's you know twenty thirty states roughly that are part of this interstate licensure compact thing. And basically, if you're licensed in one of those states, they make it expedited for you to get in another state. Notably, Becky, of course, North Carolina is not on that list. <laughs> it's no surprise to us here. But also states like California, New York, Texas, and Florida. And this is why when I said we won't see a national licensure because those states just aren't willing to give up control. Now, look, they may have some very good reasons. They may say, well, we don't think that the, the requirements are stringent enough in this IMLC thing for the, you know, right? So we, we, we have a higher set of standards. I don't know that South Carolina maybe is higher than California or New York or Texas or Florida, but hey, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. But you know what I'm saying, Becky? Like they are preserving that control. And I think that it's just limiting our ability to access higher additional veterinary professionals. And, and, and that's why, look, I'm glad it's come up once again. This is not the first time that the AVMA has discussed this issue, at least not in my 30 years of being a member of the AVMA. But I really hope, Becky, that that due to the current pressure, that maybe this time we'll get some kind of action. I mean, why don't you think we should be pursuing some kind of compact? You know, again, it's not guaranteed licensure. It's not just automatically if you're licensed in one state, you go to the next. You still have to go through a process. It's just expedited. Don't you think that's a, a good thing for our profession? I'm like over here trying not to laugh because I'm like, I mean, yeah, I can't historically say if the AVMA gets pressured by a group of individuals who think it can be done better <laughs> that any change will occur. Um, yeah, I would fair, love yeah to think that that would be the case however historically not so much but i mean it seems like a no-brainer now to your point i was thinking when you were saying that like sure like if you are in some of these like when i think about veterinary technicians you know new york is is one of the like golden states you've got to be licensed to touch an animal in that state just about right and they are they still are experiencing shortages and they still adhere to that high level standard so I would be interested to know what it is that make those why those states don't participate, right? Like what is it? And what effort is being done to come together on that? Like is it simply a stalemate that says, "Oh, we're not participating, not good enough," or okay, what could we do to make it better so that you did? The idea that you know, uh, again, <laughs> it's it's sort of getting to beat a drum, but the idea that we are always in our own way in this profession that the idea that control um, or fear is is overcoming the potential of something that could help patient care, increase business, increase availability of veterinary professionals and increase the longevity, um, I find that really disturbing because I would love to see what it is that isn't that because it's what it feels like. And the idea that these associations that we lean into – um, may not have the same prioritization and priorities that we have as a profession and as personal individuals within the profession, to me, is really upsetting. Right. Um, and the, and I don't hear anything about this, right? Like, oh, we'll yeah. make a committee yeah. on it. Super. 
My first question is, how do, oftentimes I find committee members have their own agenda, right? The reason that they want to be on the committee is to squash it or push it. They have their own agenda with the topic. Very rarely are neutral ad hocs put into place. Yeah. Second of all, if it isn't working, why not? All I seem to hear is like, well, we can't or, oh, we tried and it didn't work. There's never any why and then what. So do we just drop it? And I think this is where, you know, we are constantly pushing our our listeners to be involved, to write letters, to make noise, to say things, to join these associations that you think – if you think it makes zero difference if you join, you you have to join because you're the people that will have to make the difference. Um, but I think it's time to start putting some pressure on not just making it happen, but let's hear more about the conversation. Yeah, agreed. And and listen, viewfinders, be clear. AVMA has nothing to do with this, right? I mean, this they can't pass legislation. They can't enforce a regulation. They have nothing to do with this. They could offer guidance. They could offer guidelines. But we'll see if that happens, as Becky said. Oh, and but, a little of that lobbying money. But go <laughs> that's ahead. That's right. Right. So, so again... Guys, if you're in a state and you're going, we can't get vets to come to our state, I think where we start is at the state level. And let's say that it's North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, like an East Coast, Maryland, right? I mean, Delaware. Let's say that we say, you know what, we're going to begin to to create our own compact. And so that means that if you're licensed in one of those states that we're going to make it easier for you to portable portability to make your license portable to an, one of our compact member states. That's what they did in the human medical field. So right. you see why I think this is important because like that would attract. So now you go, "Hey, if I'm licensed in North Carolina, I can easily move within five or six states. See, that's where the attraction potential comes in. That's why they did it on the human medical side. These states started getting together and they said, hey, we want more physicians to come in, whether it's relief or specialty or whatever, but we've got to reduce some of those barriers. And again, you can't tell me, Becky, that North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Maryland, Alabama, whatever, you know, this, you can't tell me that our, our sort of requirements wouldn't be very similar. You ever asked your doctor about his licensure and history? Like, did you ever go into the doctor and no. say, "Sorry, are you right. licensed to work in North Carolina, <laughs> right. or else have you worked? What are the differences?" Like, I, I was, I'm just thinking to myself, like, if you're a doctor, you're a doctor. Like, if I'm, if I, I it, and you might be a good one or a bad one, but your license does not differentiate that, right? And I was thinking to myself about how there's this whole huge profession of traveling nurses, this amazing career especially for young people who want to travel, want to see the world, want to see all different parts of the country that are able to go do three and six month stints in in places where they're desperately needed for shortages. And they move all around the country as a traveling health professional, um, doing their service, their trade, their skill. And, you know, a ventilator is the same as a ventilator in Pennsylvania, as it is in Texas, as it is in California. And if I have a skill and if I have a passion I can do that anywhere in the country. I'm feeling a need wherever it goes. I, I like it, to me. I cannot make sense out of why we wouldn't want to rush this, not rush it, but to 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 prioritize this to be something that we could absolutely make transferable into the veterinary industry. We're going to increase careers. We're going to increase patient career patient care. We're going to increase the number of professionals who are able to stay in the profession. But that just doesn't seem to be the priority. 
Right. And, and again, getting back to your question about like, is your doctor licensed, your human physician, the average physician in the U.S. that's a part of this compact, they've got three state licenses on hand. Right. So wow. this is this yeah. this means that those physicians are actually taking advantage, but they're not like getting 25 licenses. Sure. They're like saying, you know, I'm going to go from Alabama to Georgia to South Carolina, right? So maybe I do relief work like you're saying and, and bounce around. And again, so what I'm calling for viewfinders, let's say you're in a state that is, is saying we can't get vets. We can't get vet techs. Go to your state medical board right now. Start to write those people. Get involved and say, hey, what if we just band with the adjoining state? Like, just just go next door and say, hey, what if we tried to make the, the process easier? Because you've just potentially doubled your applicant pool. And more importantly, Becky, for those people that are saying, you know... I'd like Idaho, but there are other states around there that I might like better. So, you know, if you were part of a compact, you might then say, well, you know what? I'm going to go practice some and help out. It's a great job opportunity in Idaho. And then later I might go to Oregon or wherever, you know, I mean, I don't know, Becky, I just don't see, I don't see why this isn't happening. It's, no, frust- I mean, it's frustrating. Like Again, I think about when I see it with um, a lot of other, pro- you know, what's coming to mind, honestly, is there's this really cool, um, International. Oh gosh, I can't remember the name. Their name right now. It's escaping me as always. But they, they're basically a pet sitting um, company that like you you sign up with them. You pay to be involved with them, but you can basically go pet sit internationally. You don't get paid. You don't pay your pet sitter, but they get a free vacation basically, right? So okay. like I could sign up with that and say, oh, I'm gonna go do a two week pet sitting stint in Ireland. I won't get paid, but I'll have a house to stay in for two weeks for free, wow. and it's going to be amazing, right? right. Um, I hate that I can't remember their name. It'll come to me. But um, it's almost like making me think about that. Like, oh, my you know, my aunt's sick in New York right now. Actually, not a lie. True story. Uh, I could go up and take care of her and also get a job doing some relief work in a clinic that needs it up there and be able to be there for my family member for, say, three months, right? And then be right. able to come back home. I think about the, the, the way that this is so... Um, you know, necessary for us and how it can really help increase the quality of life if we have the ability to do this. But that being said, the the thing that was coming to mind as well was telehealth. So I think this is another area where we're, you know, in so many situations now, and I think about this even with my own telehealth. So my, I'm very open. My, beha- my um, counseling is online. I, uh, my medication management is online. I know right. my medication manager is in Massachusetts. She happens to be licensed in North Carolina, so she's able to provide my care. Um, when you talk about these doctors who have licenses in three states, they're able to do telemedicine in these three right. states. Good so point. on their weekend off, they can just, you know, oh, yeah, sounds like an ear infection. Oh, yeah, that's a nasty bruise, whatever they're doing, making extra money, increasing their quality of life. Like, we could be putting these efforts as well into squaring away and help enhancing and building the telemedicine that we're fighting so hard against to in- to continue to create the legalities of it that need to be necessary. So I think that this is going to have to continue to be a conversation as telehealth continues to push our profession like it or not. Right. And, and again, you know, I, I always am sort of baffled, uh, you know, OK, great. There's an AVMA committee. Guess what? Has nothing to do with your state veterinary medical board. So, hey, I mean, it's yeah. just talk, talk, talk. And it's not going to, you know, I, again, I think there's such opportunity for a national veterinary medical association to give guidance and guidelines and help and assistance 
but we'll see, right? I mean, in 30 yeah. years, we haven't seen it. And look, uh, viewfinders, this has, uh, as I mentioned earlier, this is not a new story. This is not a new question. This is something that we have been raising, at least in my 30 years. This is something that comes up every couple of years, like, hey, why don't we have better license portability? Yeah. You know, and, and the other thing that's interesting, because you said this is at the AVMA level right now. It, may, it has nothing to do with your state association. I would I would say to that point as well, and we, and we talked about this, right? Talk with your state board, yep. you know, lobby them, have these conversations, write the letters. Also, I, if I were you, I would challenge you to get an idea of what the relationship looks like between your state VMA and your medical board. Oftentimes, you'll find that they are not on the same page. And so the things that are happening on the national level with the American Veterinarian Medical Association will get passed down to the state level, uh, 17 states of which allow their technicians to be members. Um, yes, Douglas Crap, Wisconsin, <laughs> I know, I see you. Um, so understanding the relationship between your state VMA and your state board is also important because I have seen – in my experience, state boards pushing against things that VMAs are pushing for simply because of the the ugliness between the relationship between the two of them. Um, there's a lot of pol- politics and and personal agendas in these in these levels of leadership, and so it is very important, in my opinion, to be involved with both so that you can navigate the waters and know what is political, what is personal, what is important, and and what is getting communicated to the boards from your VMAs. Th- those those lines of communications, they're not always open and they're not always working together. Right. So if you're in one of those nearly 30 states that have this compact on the human medical side, this is a great starting point for your veterinary medical board. Like So like if you're in Louisiana, for example, which is a participant in this physician licensure uh, portability type uh, act. Um, Say, hey, you know, we're already part of it for the human medical uh, profession. What about us? You know, and I'll tell you, like Becky said, many times they aren't aware. Like, I would not be surprised at all if some of the members of the veterinary medical board in Louisiana have really very little insight into what's happening on the human medical board side, right? And that's not a diss on anybody because it's no. the same for us, right? I mean, we're te- I'm telling you, hey, there's a lot of stuff I don't have any clue. But just knowing and understanding and learning from it could get us ahead. So again, viewfinders, I mean, I, I want to kind of, uh, there's one other thing I want to bring up with Becky today um, <laughs> before we go, but I think license portability is one of those solutions to the workplace shortage. I think it only benefits the profession. I don't understand why it hasn't happened now, you know, in 30 years of us talking about it. If there's anything I can do to help out there, I mean, I'm offering myself and I'm, I'm going to offer Becky services on the vet tech side. We will be happy to spearhead to get involved because this is, this is kind of easy pickings if you ask me. Well, well, Becky, AVMA wh- loves to hear from me, so please, <laughs> yeah. please reach out. Yeah, but but again, this is an AVMA issue. Like, I'm just saying, start with states. Let's get yes, two or three states together. Let's just start work. I mean, forget that, because that's not going to happen. Well, there's a few state boards that also love to hear from me as well, so please <laughs> reach out. No, but it's true, and honestly, I think I want to say this too, just, just before we move on, is I think a lot of times there's an underlying fear to standing up, right, and saying, mm-hmm. like, this is a small profession. I'm afraid to be blacklisted. I'm afraid to be made as a troublemaker, and that's a fear I've overcome. <laughs> and so sometimes yeah. I feel like I can help. I want to help because I'm not afraid of making them mad um, or blacklisting myself or or anything like that. And I understand where those fears come in. And so I want to just recognize you know, that for some people it, it it can be intimidating to go and have these strong conversations. So do involve other people if you need to. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and again, if you're passionate, I mean, you know, like, like right now still fighting with the AVMA over, you know, ventilation shutdown, just trying to declare it not recommended like every other country in the world, except for maybe China. (laughs) But yeah. So, so again, you, you have to stand up for what you believe in. And one of the things that Becky believes in is that the American Veterinarian Medical Association should allow more participation from other veterinary professionals. Well, it came up at this uh, year's annual meeting up there, and and it was actually part of the Veterinary Information Forum for the House of Delegates. And they said, hey, should we expand AVMA membership beyond veterinarians? Becky, I think you might say yes. (laughs) (laughs) I don't say yes. I say Choose what you want or change your name. I am right. more than happy for you to remain the only only veterinarians. I just need you to change your entire title if that's the case. Well, here's the great news. <laughs> they assigned it to a committee. Hey, <laughs> hey, why wasn't I invited to that committee? I know, I know. So they want to talk Are about whether... Are there any veterinary technicians on the committee? Just I, curious. I don't know. You know, that's, I, I doubt it because it's the AVMA. There are none to be had. Right. right? So we're making decisions about our profession and including veterinary professionals that won't actually get a say. I am shocked. So I'm quoting now one of the press releases that they gave from this year's meeting in January 2022 in Chicago. They say, on a recommendation from that committee, the HOD, the House of Delegates for the AVMA, voted to request (laughs) voted to request that the AVMA board of directors, quote, consider creating a pathway of communication with other veterinary healthcare team organizations, starting with NAFTA and the VHMA to investigate how best to work collaboratively to strengthen their organizations and professions as the as well as the AVMA. Again, no mention of membership. It's a pathway of communication to investigate how to collaborate. Becky, that's a lot of word soup there. Well, so yeah, let me anecdotally throw some names out here um maybe i'll i'm gonna be you decide you can bleep them out if you think it's inappropriate if i name names but so one of the the so i'll just put it out there ken yagi posted on his facebook a picture of him harold davis and ed carlson three amazing veterinary technicians who have done so much work in this industry yep a comment on that came from the amazing beautiful wonderful loving kind and understanding miss janet donnellan who said, um, or Dr. Donlin, sorry, who said, current CEO of AVMA, um, look at these amazing veterinary leaders, okay, was her comment, and and then some other niceties. And I responded back and said, like, oh, that's interesting. We refer to them as veterinary leaders. However, they can't be a member of their veterinary association, being the AVMA. Wouldn't they be able to do wonderful things if they were able to be part of that leadership? So... Uh, uh, to be fair, Janet Donnellan very, very kindly said, Becky, your opinion is always appreciated or something kind like that with a little heart. You know, I, I, you thanks, know, but very, no very, thanks. Right. With yeah. so much grace. Right. <laughs> well, so then Ken comes back and, and Ken is very, you know, I, 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 I will say this just to tease him because I know he doesn't listen. Is he, he asks about the podcast and I always say like, oh, well, that means you have just. It means you don't listen. You just made that clear. Um, right. So I know he won't hear this, but if you do, hey, Ken, sorry. Uh, he w- he brought that up, right? He said, I see this differently. I see this as creating a pathway with NAFTA and, um, you know, this communication. So, okay, so that was sort of the conversation that they had with as well in the comments is that this is the way to move forward. I find this incredibly surprising. So the number one thing that I brought up is these political action campaigns and these political action movements, right? AVMA has the right to lobby, has money, has political action um, funds 
to right. help with legislation. This right. is the way that NAVDA is currently, um, you know, 501c3, and I believe, not a C6, and they cannot put much money and time into lobbying. We also don't have the money for those political action campaigns. I also argue and say, let's look at the membership numbers. I would say about, what, 5% of the technician population are members of NAVDA versus probably about 80% of the veterinarian population are members of AVMA. And I am taking those numbers from North Carolina and saying when I look at the North Carolina Technician Association membership numbers and I look at the um, NCVMA numbers, it's very disproportionate in the professionalism, right? right? So right. the other argument that I have, just to throw it out there, is veterinarians can also join NAVDA. <laughs> we have right. that inclusionary element to our association versus them. So. I understand this. They're talking about a communication pathway, but that's not an advocating pathway. That's not a lobbying pathway. That's not a law pathway. It's just a simply, how can we talk more? Number one, yeah. we talk plenty. And number two, <laughs> there is zero action behind that. And it is still not a level of acceptance of the entire veterinary team. I still categorize it as lip service. Yeah. And that, that's what's so frustrating. Again, you know, Becky, I, I just wanted to give you a, I knew how passionate you are about this this issue. And I'm, I'm with you on this. I mean, this, yeah. it's like, wow, it's 2022 and we're just now establishing a pathway of communication. And look, I get it. That's an important first step. But are you kidding me? That's we're really at the first step stage. I don't think so. Well, and to just shout them out there, South Carolina VMA and my dear friend Peter Weinstein, who I believe is resigning from the South Carolina VMA, but is currently um, in charge down there, has made some of that movement with their VMA and has started including, at least on their Facebook groups and some of their terminology, whole veterinary team. Um, Liz Houston was really, really kind in giving me credit for some of that because I think I've, I've said it enough now. People are <laughs> tracing that back to me. But um, the point is that there are some people out there listening, Peter Weinstein, South Carolina VMA, you guys are doing it right. And thank you for being leaders out there. So if you are currently listening and you agree with this, please take some time to talk to your board and your VMAs to say, like, we're not including the whole team here. How can we like, like, how can we make these changes that make sense? How can we be more inclusive? Because ultimately, I believe our burnout, our depression, our patient care, and the future of our entire profession are dependent on it. That's right. And just one thing, viewfinders, my dear friend and Becky's dear friend, Peter Weinstein, is that Southern California, not South Carolina, but uh, I, I did that. I, I primed you against that. I, I said Southern California, didn't I? No, but that's okay. It's me you because I, 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 kept talk, I kept talking South Carolina. So anyway, <laughs> Southern California and South Carolina are slightly different in I ideology. I Peter Weinstein was in South <laughs> Carolina. Me too. hang out with him on the regular. <laughs> me too. Guy. If you haven't read his book, The E-Myth Veterinarian, while we've got you here, we'll plug him. Um, yeah, I mean, I just think that there are some guys out there right. doing it, and it's really, really nice to to see the people that are hearing it and understanding and growing. Um, and I just, I really hope that RV, AVMA can do that as well with licensure, with inclusion. I mean, this is this is all high level stuff for our profession. Everything that we do to make our our profession better honestly increases our longevity. And um, I think you and I would both agree. Like we are at a point in time where something has to happen because. Um, our profession is at a really critical point. Yeah, it, it really is. And these are two important issues that certainly, you know, allow um, uh, our profession to grow in our, in my opinion, for sure. And so again, you know, license portability, 
pathway to communication, yeah. <laughs> our membership for vet techs. I mean, I think these are things in 2022 that we should be emboldened to talk about. So again, viewfinders, what do you think about license portability? Is it an issue? Do you think it's a barrier to you hiring people, getting relief help, whatever? We really want to hear what you think about this topic and maybe you have an even better solution. That's right. You know where to find us on all the social medias, veterinary viewfinder at vet viewfinder. Um, and you can email us at veterinaryviewfinder at gmail.com. That's right. We will talk to you next week. And who knows, maybe one day we'll be able to like go practice somewhere else, Becky. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> I love your talk about that.